everyone at CNN right now outside of Chris Lick's office feels that Trump rolled over Caitlin Collins, that she was set up for failure, and they are deeply, deeply frustrated about it. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm John Kelly. It's Monday, May 15th, Media Monday, and I'm joined here by Puck's ace media reporter and founding partner, Dylan Byers, who has all the ins and outs on the CNN Trump town hall and the fallout inside Hudson Yards. And then we turn our attention to Twitter, which has a new CEO and a new, very, very famous, very controversial star. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. It's Monday, May 15th, and I'm John Kelly, fresh from Peter Hamby's incredible wedding in Ojai, here with the man who's reporting we normally steal on Media Monday, Dylan Byers, and it's an incredible Media Monday because everyone's attention is focused on CNN, the town hall, the Trump of it all, the Caitlin Collins of it all, the feedback of it all internally from what Anderson Cooper said on air and, and Oliver Darcy's somewhat provocative newsletter Dylan, at some point on Thursday afternoon, CNBC's Alex Sherman put out on Twitter that he was desperate to read the forthcoming (laughs) issue of In the Room because the entire industry was trying to surmise just what was in Dylan Byers' notebook. So Dylan, tell us what you're hearing, what you're thinking, and what the hell is going on in the worldwide leader of news. Well, first of all, let me say the the response to this befitting all the pregame anticipation has been pretty overwhelming. And I think that there are, look, there are a thousand pundits who have been out there since the moment this thing ended on Wednesday night who have various takes on on whether it was right to platform Trump in a town hall setting, uh, whether Caitlin Collins did a good job or a great job or a mediocre job. People can debate that all of they want. I, I, th- I think the dust has settled a little bit, and it's time to see like where where does CNN stand in light of this decision, and, and in light of their performance. There are two competing views, and they, it gets to the heart of a larger problem 
at CNN right now, particularly for uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and for Chris Licht, the CEO, which is this. If you talk to anyone who is in the bunker with Chris Licht, which is to say his immediate inner circle, which is which is a very small group of people, or yeah. any of his corporate overlords, David Zaslav and, and, and the others in the C-suite, the view is that this was a success. They, they are not naive. They, they, they are aware of the blowback. They are aware that uh, liberals didn't like this. They are aware that <laughs> basically everyone outside of like MAGA world thought this was a very shameful night for CNN. But, but their general take is, look, we put on full display for the nation who Donald Trump is and what he's all about. And Caitlin Collins stood firm and, and fact-checked him as best she could in real mm-hmm. time. Fine. Everyone below Chris Licht, the, the people from the, the highest anchors on down to, to the, the lowliest janitors, are feeling a mixture of shame, frustration, embarrassment, and anger about the fact because they have lived through so many years of, of Trump's lies, of Trump going after them. Obviously, you have a lot of veterans and holdovers from the Jeff Zucker era, pretty much the entire building, who can't believe that most most of them are fine with the fact that CNN put Trump on the network, but they don't like the way in which it was done. They do not like the fact that there that the audience was on Trump's side and rooting for him and applauding him. They don't like that Caitlin was essentially set up to fail because there is no way to to keep up with Trump mm-hmm. in real time. And they and what you have here is effectively what has been happening at the network ever since Chris Lick took over, which is that he is on a mission from from David Zaslav, approved by John Malone, to pivot this network to the center and create a new kind of CNN. And you have a lot of people who work at CNN who actually don't mind that the thesis that CNN should be a, a more centrist, nonpartisan news organization, but they object heavily to the management of it and to the how it has left the network exposed and embarrassed to criticism and to ridicule. And you see this, if you if you look closely, you can see this starting to crop up in Oliver Darcy's newsletter, which mm-hmm. when he says, I don't know how America was served by what we had on air, Chris Licht was, was deeply frustrated with that take and, and went so far as to say that America was served well by the town hall in in his morning Mm -hmm. meeting the following morning you have anderson cooper going on in prime time and effectively saying i know why so many of you were frustrated with what you saw in our air last night and then threading the needle to say you can't ignore it you have to pay attention to it defending Mm -hmm. cnn and cnn's journalism not necessarily defending chris licht because of course there are myriad ways in which you can have Trump on. You can have him on for an interview that you can edit. And for all of the talk, I I understand why the journalism community is rallying to Caitlin's defense, because she has a lot of friends there. And she did, she was in a very hard situation. But she did not do a masterful job, as Chris Licht said. She, She did a fine job. But she, she she didn't do it the way Jonathan Swan did it memorably in his Axios. She she you know mm-hmm. and and in many ways Trump everyone at CNN right now outside of Chris Lick's office feels that Trump rolled over Caitlin Collins that she was set up for failure and they are deeply deeply frustrated about it 
And so I think the question now going forward for CNN is, is it sustainable if, if Chris Licht has the support of his bosses because he is executing the mission to reposition CNN, but he does not have the support of his troops? Is that a sustainable situation for CNN? And I think that is what's going to be tested in, in the weeks and months ahead. As you pointed out to me in, in a, a, a private text exchange earlier last week, it's the opposite of the Zuckerverse, right? That Zucker was sort of, part of his appeal was that he was this guy who had this, this incredible track record and was able to be defiant about his overlords. I mean, certainly the, the, the Zucker-Kylar uh, relationship was never fabulous. Uh, it, it seemed like Kylar was always <laughs> looking for ways to to needle him. But Zucker had almost like just a kind of dead poet society, uh, oh, captain, my captain support inside CNN. And that made him bulletproof uh, outside of uh, you know what came out of the internal investigation. Dylan, I wonder... What's the readout on Collins herself? You, you you broke the news last week that she's going to be the 9 p.m. host. And it sure does seem like she's the great licked hope that she's this conservative star. She's very young. So that plays at odds with the, the notion that, that cable is this declining old media sort of, you know, linear nosedive. Is Caitlin Collins going to be able to reverse the decline of the 9 p.m. hour? Is Lick planning other primetime innovations to your mind? And is this latest Lick strategy of binding himself to a, a, an anchor, as he did before, we must remember, with Jake Tapper in this slot, and as he seemed to do in the morning show, is this going to work, or is this going to be the latest semi-disappointment? It's, it's a really good question. I mean, you know... I think what Chris has recognized at this point one year into his tenure is that the idea of throwing like a mishmash of, you know, a town hall here, a documentary here, a sp- an interview here in primetime without a consistent anchor fundamentally went against all of the established wisdom about consumer behavior when it comes to cable news. Mm-hmm. And he finally recognizes that, no, you need a consistent person there. Look, I think Caitlin is at the very least more of a known quantity uh, nationally in light of the town hall. Now, again, like only 3 million or so people actually watch the town hall, but obviously her name's in the news. She's a known quantity. But what kind of known quantity is she? There are a lot of people on the liberal side of the aisle who are really frustrated again with the town hall and and how it happened and, and are probably not fans of how she handled it, fairly or unfairly. And then on the on the sort of MAGA side of the world, Trump called her a nasty person. So I know. who you know who is the audience now that is going to come to Caitlin Collins, who, as we have said many times, is an, a very impressive correspondent, has shown herself to be good at asking tough questions, but is not has yet to demonstrate that she is like the, the sort of centrist star at a sort of like Maddow or Tucker Carlson level, if such a thing exists. And so profound respect to her. But what was on display on Wednesday night was not a masterful performance of a moderator who could fully command the, you know, the, the former and possibly future president of the United States. What was on display was CNN's best available hope. Right. Right. And is she going to reverse CNN's fortunes at 9 p.m.? I'm not bullish about that. I do think that it is a better solution 
than what Chris Licht has done to date. I think that in a in what is going to be a very tense and fraught 18 month election cycle that she will that the ratings will go up. But can she wrest control of of this election away from MSNBC and Fox News and whatever Tucker Carlson chooses to do on Twitter? I, I wouldn't hold out much hope for that because Trump is going to be the biggest ratings draw. And even with Trump, they got three million. So I would right. I, I worry for her. And, and as we know, there is a lot of pressure when you get to primetime. Obviously, Jake Tapper felt that. Everyone who goes through primetime feels it. All of a sudden, people are paying attention to the ratings every single day. You're being judged, memed, critiqued every single day. And it, it is just a different arena. And she's formidable, but she will be tested very hard. You know, I, I don't know Caitlin at all personally, but to me, this is a, an almost AOC-like bellwether in the fact that she's obviously a star. She's obviously talented. Yes, that town hall didn't play as uh, many would have liked it to. Although uh, Tara reported on Thursday night that people inside the room said that actually it, it was it was sort of more poorly produced than um, than it, it appeared in terms of the number of Trump supporters. That it seemed more pro-Trump than actually uh, the the breakdown would have suggested if you were in the auditorium in Hampshire. But that said, the key point to me for Collins is that she is a young talented megastar who will basically be kind of pressed with the issue over the next number of years about when she departs this medium. The same way that I feel like AOC is a politician who has so many opportunities in terms both financial opportunities and and movement opportunities that it may turn out that Congress is actually too small for her. You know that and that a future potential run in the Senate if she wants to challenge Gillibrand or something may be too small for her. I surmise that there is a world where if Collins is successful, the industry almost would need to keep her in cable because we're undergoing an era now when the biggest stars, when the Maddows of the world are trying to define their footing elsewhere. And when you look around at who's dominating prime time, it's either second tier anchors or people who made less than their predecessors or the kind of, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell class that is um, eroding with the medium. And uh, you would imagine that everyone at CNN would be rooting for her to be successful because if she turns her back on this, I mean, poof, that would be the biggest kiss of death imaginable. Yeah, you know, I, I would I would disagree slightly in saying that I, I don't think she's necessarily an obvious megastar. And it's really hard to talk about this because she's a fellow journalist. She's got a lot of support. She proved herself very capable at asking tough questions when a lot of people were asking tough questions during the Trump administration. But again, very respectfully, going on stage with Donald Trump and saying, fact-checking him by, by, you know, he says a falsehood and then you say what actually is true. And then he just says the falsehood again and Mm -hmm. runs right over you is not masterful moderation. It is not yet the sign that she is a megastar who who knows how to command an interview. You know, I, I mean, I thought I thought some about, like, for instance, some of Kara Swisher's greatest interviews. Obviously, Kara Swisher will, will never get the chance to interview Trump. But interviewing is hard, period. It is especially hard when you're dealing with the political moment that we're in, and obviously a figure like Trump. And you have to take more command than either she was able or allowed to take. And... I think Caitlin as the 9 p.m. bet 
is on the one hand a testament to her her incredible skill at what she does. I think it is also a testament to the diminished ambitions of cable news in this time of linear decline. And, and look, it's hard to program for a centrist audience. <laughs> I mean, that's all available evidence suggests that like cable thrives with partisan opinionated hosts. But she is not yet at age 31, reasonably so, she is not yet yeah. at that Maddow level. All of the mismanagement that we've seen at CNN over the last year year and change, I'm not totally convinced that the right people are there to program her hmm. and produce her for success. Interesting. We'll, uh, we will return to that, I'm sure, in many a future Media Monday. But Dylan, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back taking a look at the other side of the aisle here, what's going on at Twitter, the new Fox News with the new CEO, and a new primetime talent in Tucker Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Welcome back. Dylan, you broke the news late last week that Elon Musk planned to hire NBC Universal Advertising Chief Linda Yaccarino as the next CEO of Twitter, which probably uh, allays the fears of many who assume that uh, Elon Musk was going to be filling that role himself. I'd love to know your initial impressions, and I'm also curious to hear what you think about the Tucker experiment and if there's any connectivity here when it comes to the various ways that our boy Elon is thinking about monetizing the platform. Uh, well, well, first, credit to a few people. For, credit to Kara Swisher for anticipating this. Uh, the moment that Elon Musk went out on Twitter and said, you know, exciting news, I've hired a new CEO, Kara immediately put it out there that her best guess was Linda Yaccarino. Hmm. Uh, and then credit to the Wall Street Journal, too, because I think we broke this news at the same time. But this, it was very surprising, but immediately made sense once the name was floated out there. And for a few reasons. One, if you... Obviously, the shitstorm that Twitter has become from a business perspective has a lot, you know, and just how much the, the value of that company has declined under Elon Musk has a lot to do with the fact that while he may have a grasp on the the technology side of this, he does not have a grasp on the advertising side of this. And that is the big void that he needs to fill in terms of the revenue. And she satisfies that for him. She she is viewed inside of NBC Universal as sort of this rock star advertising sales chief who has modernized and advanced the metrics by which NBC is able to sell advertising. She's responsible for why Peacock uh, generates the ad revenue that it does. So that makes a lot of sense there. Secondly, her politics um, are, are are more or less squarely aligned with those of Elon's. She was um, she was actually on Trump had a council for I believe sports and health and nutrition and fitness or something like that, and she was named to that council. So I think the peacock logo here might confuse people. She's actually there more or less twin track when it comes to how they view mm -hmm. the world politically. 
I think that what this signals to me about Twitter is that the sort of momentary idea that Elon had that if he just charged everybody $8 a month for blue check marks, that he would somehow be able to save the business is obviously not going to get the business to where it needs to be. And he needs to do that through ad ad revenue. And this is a signal to the advertising community that he is serious about that. She has those relationships. She will finesse those relationships. Meanwhile, he can step back into the role of executive chairman and chief technology officer and focus on that. Now, the big question here is, can Linda Yaccarino sort of handle working with Elon and all of Elon's idiosyncrasies? I mean, I talked to a few other candidates or, or people you might expect could be the CEO of Twitter, and they were like, never would I ever do this? Would I like deal with Elon? So I imagine that will be tested. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I think this is for for advertisers and for the business community, I think this is seen largely as a positive signal. Yeah, it's just the mere fact that somebody's in that role. And, you know, we forget, Twitter hasn't had a full-time CEO in years. I mean, we know that since inception, Twitter is a company that was constantly, you know, had a battle over direction. There were four co-founders. They cycled in and out of the uh, C-suite. Pe- people tend to identify Twitter most with with Jack Dorsey, but it, in reality, it was it was Ev Williams who had the idea and who was able to execute on it. You know, he nuked Jack. Jack nuked him. So the, the disarray at the top is is nothing unusual. But Dylan, I want to ask you one last thing before we get you out of here, which is the Tucker of it all. And you've obviously been following this closely, and. I've been stunned by one element of this, which is what seems to me to be Tucker's desperation to be on TV or Twitter TV or whatever it is. And I imagine that part of that is motivated not just by the the egomania of, of wanting to, or egocentrism of wanting to have his voice out there, although I wouldn't discount that too much. But I think that there is some sort of insecurity that if he doesn't get his feet planted, the world will move on as it did with O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly and to some extent Glenn Beck, although he's been certainly successful in, in his post-Fox life. How much of this, of, of Tucker's new, uh, you know, sojourn to Twitter do you think is motivated by a revenge fantasy? And how much of it do you think is motivated by, let's call it male fragility? I, I would say there's probably a great deal of male fragility. I think there's... Um, all the available evidence suggests that, uh, whether it's Bill O'Reilly, Glenn Beck, Megyn Kelly, that when you go away from Fox News, there are various, you could start a business, you could start a YouTube channel, you can do what you want, and maybe your business will be fine or not. But in terms of political influence and relevance, that fades very, very quickly. And I think Tucker recognizes that he has a lot of wind at his back because of the political moment we're living in. And he doesn't want to lose that. And I think every day he goes without a show, he fears that slipping away from him. I think when he and Elon talked by phone the the, the night before Tucker announced this, I think that the, I think probably one thing Elon sold him on was like w- similar to what he's been tweeting since the town hall, the CNN town hall, which is three million viewers for the CNN town hall. Like if someone tweets something about the CNN town hall, they get 3 million views. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's nothing. come here, we've got a real audience and you can build a business here off of subscriptions and, and whatnot. And I don't know what other what other stuff is going on behind the scenes there in terms of that arrangement. But then the other thing I think is Tucker stays at least semi-relevant on Twitter 
at worst, very relevant at best. And in the meantime, if he can demonstrate that he keeps this following, someone else will come along and offer him something. And this gives him more time to figure out what that something is, where he wants to go. Well, especially well, uh, Brian Friedman and Fox News negotiate the deal, like negotiate the terms of his exit and whether or not he's entitled to money or no money based off of who broke the contract first. So, yeah, I, I think Tucker wants to stay relevant. And I actually I am far more bullish on him managing to figure out how to do this in a presidential election cycle when Donald Trump is the front runner and when media is becoming so sort of strange and and even a Trump interview <laughs> town hall on CNN can only command three million views. There's actually potential here for him to do that and to succeed. Well, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see. I can only imagine how desperately he wants this. I think the question is going to come down to how loyal Elon Musk is really going to be. It, does Tucker need Elon more than Elon needs Tucker? It, it's very unclear, but this does seem like a little bit of a sort of MAGA Thelma and Louise Anyway, Dylan, I'm sure you're going to have more about this next week. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to get the early previews on texting over the phone. And in the meantime, uh, thanks for being here. And uh, I'll see you in the Slack, brother. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Dylan Byers. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck, and Bob Tabador. 